welcome to Las Doctoras podcast. Led by our intuition, we are creating space for conversations, asking critical questions, and interrogating the oppressive systems of power we live in. We are your hosts. I am Dr. Renee Limas, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a Cancer sun and moon with Pisces rising, mother of water. I am Dr. Christina Rose, pronouns she, they, Virgo sun, Aquarius moon, Gemini rising, mother of earth. We are grounded in a connection to ancestral wisdom. Our work is to heal the wounds of generational trauma that is of white male and cis hetero supremacy, all while we create a way of being that celebrates, truly revels in the joy of our families and our community. Join us on our journey, not toward perfection, but into reflection, immersed in compassionate self-awareness and courageous action. Come, sit at our kitchen table, sip on some tequila with us, and let's change our world. Salud! Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome Welcome to Las Doctoras podcast. Again, we don't know what episode we're in. We really need to remember. We're doing a lot this season, so who knows? We know, really. Um, It's coming. It's coming. This is exciting. We're in season four. We're in season four. And um, yeah, we're happy to have our guest on. And we're going to introduce or we'll let her introduce herself. We'll just, I'll just kind of say that we, um, all three of us are academics, professors, and we're going to be speaking to the state of academia and how we're experiencing the challenges. Um, I think challenges for, uh, that have existed for a really long time. And then very specific challenges that we've encountered, you know, during the pandemic and whatnot. So Let's get started, Diane. (laughs) Hi, thank you so much for having me here. I'm such a fan. I'm just super honored and really grateful for this time. So thank you again. Um, My name is Diane Nevarez and my pronouns are she, her, ella. Um, And you asked a little bit about my background. So my mother's side, we're from Oaxaca and on my father's side, we're from Puebla, Mexico. Um, and then as far as like going further back, my ancestors are actually Mixtec. My great grandfather spoke Mixtec, but, you know, due to cultural genocide, that language was not passed down. So that for us is a loss. Um, and we're trying so hard just to hold on to speaking Spanish and passing that down to our kids. But I do feel like the, I think about that loss there of not having that bridge of being able to speak Mixtec and having that bridge to that community that is part of our ancestry um, and I'll sometimes have students who say they are Mishthik. And, you know, I do wish I could have, um, you know, more than just saying, well, my great grandfather was Mishthik, right? Mm-hmm. To have even more of that connection. But, you know, we're always trying to, as you all say, reclaim, right? And rebuild. Um, and so, yes, that's part of my, my family side. My mom grew up in Colton, the Inland Empire, Colton, California. And uh, my father, you know, was mostly raised in Mexico. Um, and then I grew up here, uh, here, I always say here, and I'm not even there, right? Because I feel like <laughs> I'm here. I grew up in SoCal. I grew up in Southgate, Norwalk, Cerritos. Um, so that's where my roots are. And recently uprooted, now I'm in the Central Valley. And just kind of learning about the community and trying to find my space here. Awesome. So tell us your, because you're an academic, so we always love to hear 
your path toward academia. And then we'll get into our history. (laughs) And then it can intersect right with your two and how you know each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can say that and then we can get into like our different or your educational background. So Diane and I went to high school together, met. I want I'm just going to say this really quick. story. I remember the very first time I ever saw Diane. It was summer before freshman year and we were taking a pre-algebra class and Diane walked in late (laughs) and I was like, who is this girl? And I'm like, and then we had Spanish class together, right? I think that's when we, and then we ran cross country together and that's kind of how we became friends. And um, yeah, we were high school friends. We were voted best friends in the high school yearbook and we were both (laughs) editors of the high school yearbook and we went to yearbook camp (laughs) together. (laughs) I, I always feel like that's such a nerdy Thing to say like oh we went to yearbook camp until and I knew you Renee so, I did not know there even was a yearbook, was a yearbook camp. camp yeah I did not know side note we also performed in the talent show at yearbook oh, camp no. <laughs> I'm not having the right now <laughs> um but I I like to say this that I don't know if we thought that we would be professors someday but looking back now it makes so much sense. It just, it like makes mm-hmm. so much sense. So I can talk more about that, but you mm-hmm. tell us how you got to, how you came to academia. Okay. And just as a side note, as I was picturing that moment that we first met or that I first saw you, I knew right away you were at Chingona. I knew I could tell it in the face and I was like, I want to know her. She seems uh-huh. really awesome. So for sure, you've always carried that like air about you that you're just, you know, you're, you're getting things done. And um, you know, really so okay. Well, we can spend more time Thanks. telling each other how awesome we are. Um, <laughs> so strategic, though. I love it. <laughs> my journey is that I went to. I mean, I don't know how far go, far back to go, but um, I went mm-hmm. to Cal State Long Beach for all my degrees because I'm very much about finding a home and staying there. And so I was like, I'm staying here for my teaching credential, for my master's degree, for my Chicano studies undergraduate degree. I was there the whole time, and then I finally had to, you know, grow my wings and fly away. And so I went to USC for my um, PhD in urban education policy. It was a whole different world. I was not not emotionally, I guess, prepared for that. It was a shock to my system to be at a private university, a wealthy university. Um, It was a lot. So yes, very traumatizing still, still trying to work through all of that um, to go in as this empowered Chicana with dreams to change the world and then getting there and seeing that it was about money and it was about prestige and it was about writing our stories but not caring about us. It was just so much. Um, So definitely still trying to work through that. And um, so, yeah, that's where it took me to get my PhD in urban education um, is what it was called. Right. And my focus was on Chicanx Latinx teacher candidates and specifically the our community cultural wealth. So the beautiful wealth and knowledge that we bring from our homes and our families into teaching. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I love the Long Beach State connection too. This is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You were at Long Beach State too, huh, Christina? Yeah. My master's. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Long Beach State. What? What's? What can we say about that? I I think that'll actually come up again because I I taught one semester there and it wasn't great. But um, <laughs> um, I'm like, but I think we should just get into it. Let's just get yeah. into it. So. 
I think part of the inspiration of this conversation was things that we've all been experiencing, right, in academia, and partly because we're all adjunct. And mm-hmm. I think I think Christine and I have tried a lot on this podcast to kind of pull back the veil on academia, right, and like what it actually mm-hmm. looks like, because there's so much misconception, there's so much like, what does it mean to get tenure, and, you know, just all of this stuff. And, um, and so I think, you know, adding a layer to that is what does adjunct work actually look like? Um, And (laughs) all I can say is that um, adjunct means we're not officially full-time, right? We basically are on a a semester to semester at worst, at best, three years, Um, but that's only after six years at the same university, right? Like there's all of these like rules and then insurance also plays into that. Like you have to teach two classes in order to get insurance. Um, And that's at the Cal States, Mm -hmm. not, we're not talking about places like USC or the private institutions or places like the JC. Like I work at a community college where even mm-hmm. though assurance insurance is available, it's astronomical. Like the premiums are, mm-hmm. I even one time called and was like, are these real? Is this really <laughs> what I would have to pay? And mm-hmm. they're like, yeah. And I'm like, who does anyone actually do this? Like, does anybody actually, what I would have to pay for a family of four is basically what I, what I get paid, like the entire check. Mm-hmm. And so it's crazy. So I think that yeah. in terms of adjunct, there's tons of exploitation that is happening because mm-hmm. most colleges and universities are depend are the majority right of the faculty are adjunct they're not mm-hmm. tenure so there's yes. no guarantee mm-hmm. there's no there's no nothing um and i think that we've all kind of been in that system for a long time and experiencing the challenges that that brings Mm-hmm. experiencing the challenges of even when we're trying to get tenure track positions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what happens then. Um, I, I do want to say before we get into <laughs> all our rants is <laughs> there is, a, there is a level of flexibility, right? Like I think there's a, there's a conscious choice, at least that I've made to say, I, I want to be, if I do apply for tenure track positions, it, it, I, you know, I really want to be strategic about it because um, I don't know. There is a cer- certain level of flexibility that adjunct adjuncting gives me in that I don't have to like do other things, right? I don't have to be part of staff meetings or I don't have to like, I can go mm-hmm. teach and peace out, right? Like I can go and I, I don't have to have like, I'm not married to a university. Con- like contractors, like a contractor, you know? like Right. A, like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's a, that's a good way to put it. So there is that level of flexibility, but with that flexibility comes vulnerability to exploitation. But tell us about your experience, Diane. Yeah, I guess what's hard, what I think about all the time is that I can't believe I went through all these years of school. I can't believe that. And it's very, it becomes very emotional because it's like, I'm getting emotional already. (laughs) What my family went through, what my ancestors went through, Mm. what we all go through to Mm. make it through these spaces and to get here and I don't have a job. Mm. get through these institutions and all those years of school and what is promised right and we know the promises are often broken and we know that it's all a farce but still mm. I mean to make it through mm. into that USC this this institution which is 
you think you've made it right. And then you mm-hmm. get out. I don't have a job, y'all. I don't. I'm teaching mm-hmm. right now. And next semester, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I with my kids. And so it's this wrestling with like internalizing that. Right. I can't mm-hmm. give back to my parents. What can I give to my kids? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I step in the classroom and it's beautiful. It's magic. Mm-hmm. And I love my students. Mm-hmm. And oh, my God, how am I so lucky to be in this space? Right. Mm-hmm. How is it that I they're listening to me? We're all talking together. This is amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just I don't even know how to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Ugh, my God. I I'm like, love that's, it. that's a lot. I think grappling with the uh, I tell my students all the time, I, I love what I do. Mm-hmm. I still deserve to get paid more. Because I think in a capitalist society, we're often sold this idea of like, well, if you love what you do, you'll do it for. Mm-hmm. whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and it's whatever. And it's like, no, fuck that. Like I deserve to be able to, and like you said, you know, we work this hard and, and, you know, Christine and I, we also have loans that we have to pay back mm. that potentially, you know, I'm still crossing my fingers. I'm still crossing my fingers for loan forgiveness, like a universal loan forgiveness, but potentially we yeah. could be having to pay these back for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And so, I mean, <laughs> I mean, or the rest of our working lives or whatever, whatever that even looks like. But I think you're right to to point out the like, it's kind of confusing to be in the classroom and to say, like, we love what we do, but we also don't feel valued for that. And there is this. I don't know. I even think like in my family, they're like, oh, you're a professor. You're you've got this prestigious job like you, you got your shit together. And I'm like, like you, like you, when you're in a position where you don't have a job the next semester, like, and you're like, Mm. what do you do? I mean, if you're willing to share what you, like what you've experienced in, in the last year, maybe, because I know you were applying for tenure track positions as well. Can I also just quick, I really thought I knew this conversation is going to be hard, but you're all naming things that are just like, I think, Times and it's just like uh the, the insecurity but how much we love it like how much we come here into the, this place out of a deep respect and love for our students and love for our ourselves as a student and um I think that that there's some real happening <clears throat> inside me right now just around this and I appreciate the space that we can um hold together and and where that comes from. So thank you for naming that, Diane. And yeah, please, would love to hear more about your experience. Thank you so much. Thank you for creating this space. Um, I mean, I feel like, yes, we've all probably gone through a lot of this, but yes, I applied to several, several jobs during the pandemic and the time it took, right? And the work it takes and putting yourself out there and feeling like I have to kind of sell myself, but I don't want to do that. Um, And then you don't hear back. You don't hear back from every, I heard back from one university and even that, that was amazing. Like that made me happy for, I think I'm still happy from that. Like just that they (laughs) even, they had, they interviewed me and I got to sit in that chair and just like, you know, on zoom, whatever in my bedroom, but I got to sit there and just be like, this is my research. And this is me. And oh my God, wait, I have research. Like I'm a person and I do these things. And 
to, to remember that part of myself was amazing in that moment. And so even though they didn't call me back, like just that kind of carried me forth a little bit for a while. Um, but yes, all the work of the applications, not getting any calls back. Um, my partner was also applying. And so the wonderful thing is that he did, he did get called back and he did get a tenure line job. And so like we're thrilled and that's so good for our family, mm. right? And then, yes, I have those moments of thinking like, damn, I'm a Chicana mama raising two kids mm. and I have this PhD and I want to show them that I can do it too, uh-huh. but I'm not getting the calls back and I'm not publishing. I don't have time. How am I gonna do <laughs> okay. So there's a lot to, I'm like, we sound like academic. There's a lot to unpack here, right? So the job I think, market, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the job market and what that looks like. So I think there's, there's. So I, I applied for one job. Okay. I don't know how you were able to apply for like several and the, the rejection and the, the work that, like you said, we have to name the amount of work that it it requires just to apply for a job, right? You have to have your CV up to date. Um, You have to have like a letter of intent or whatever, like a personal statement, right? Letters of rec. Um, uh, I'm like, what else? Sometimes they ask for a pedagogy, statement right um i'm like there's just like all this paper right diversity statement you have to gather all your transcripts you have to do so you have to jump through a million hoops just to apply and then you're waiting with um like you're holding your breath waiting and they're most of the time they're not going to call you and say you didn't get it they you'll just it'll just be crickets you'll just wait (laughs) for eternity and so you're sitting there right And then if you do get it right. So I, I got a call back too. like you said, you sit in that interview and you're like, yes. And you, you, I feel like I rocked it. Like, (laughs) and I even feel like remember you called me, you called me afterwards and we were like, we celebrated that you did that. Yeah. And everything on paper. I was like, yeah, check, check, check. Like I got, I got it all. Like what, where, you know, like what more could they want? And then even after the interview in, at least in my case, it was crickets. It was like, okay, are they going to call me? And at least give me like a thank you. No, thank you. And then it took a really long time. And I think, and, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of fields that are similar in the way that the hiring process is. But even then, I think it's toxic. I think it's fucked up. I think that they need to be calling us back, whether we got it or not. I think they need to do it in a timely manner. I think they need to or at least say, hey, we're running late on our situation and it's going to be another week until you find out or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think they realize how much for those of us who are applying, like it could be life changing. You know, I thought about like, if I get this job that's five minutes from my house with the salary, you know, that they were offering, it could literally change. It's like winning the lottery. It would you be know. like winning the lottery. lottery. You know, I always say it's like winning American Idol because they have to bring it down <laughs> to like three candidates. <laughs> and then they have to like, it really is. And then you have to like sing for your life practically. Oh, and I, God. And like I think the there's games. such a like, I mean, I want to believe that people who are in positions of hiring are trying to get their shit together. But I'm like, don't they realize that we're literally holding our breath waiting for them to call and how much torture it is to sit around on a prayer, right? Like just waiting for them. And I even thought, I'm like, if I get this job, 
and I have to go and turn around and hiring. We are changing that whole fucking hiring system. Like, I just don't understand how nobody's thought like this just does not work, you know? Um, and most of the time when they're putting out mm. these calls for positions, they already know mm. who, who they want to hire. Um, but they, because they have to go through, they basically have to kind of go through the hoops to say that they tried to, you know, get a fair equal pool or whatever. Um, I think but, we could yeah. also talk about in that divide um, how much those, because our tenured um, track or tenured people who are professors who are doing the hiring process. Mm-hmm. Like well, for our department, I wasn't allowed to be on the hiring committee because I was a lecturer, you know, for, um, for, the, for our next position. It's only those people who, you know, have that um, associate associate professor right and right? Yeah. I don't know what they're, they're assistant um, isn't it assistant then associate then full professor something like that I think it's wild to look at the pay scale too um like with mm. what they're being paid versus the lectures you know and just even thinking it in 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 like how we think it's the lottery or American Idol or I was gonna say the Hunger Games <laughs> you know basically like singing for your life you know like there's such a strong contrast there's such class class like power dynamics in that mm. very moment, you know, to that come to the table for me. Um, yeah. And then I know I, I'm like, can we just talk about who got these jobs? Can we talk about that? <laughs> yes. I think that's the thing we need to, to also mention is who is, get, who is, who are getting the tenure track positions. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I know I, I was texting everybody when I found out who got the job in my case, I was like, did you see who got this job? Did you, this is crazy. Right. Um, and then I think Diane, I had texted you and then you had texted me back to when you found out who got positions, um, that you had applied for. And I mean, what was your experience of that, of like kind of figuring out who's getting hired for these jobs? I mean, I actually don't even really remember. Maybe I blocked it out. Um, <laughs> in my field, I don't, I don't even know if I knew that I, yeah, I think, well, I was more, um, I think we had more of the conversation about in your situation and yeah. that there was a real, real problem there. I feel like in education, it's a little, a little different. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I will say, okay. So when I was, when I was going through this whole hiring process and I said, and it's, so it's an ethnic studies position at a brand new ethnic studies program at LBCC. Oh man, I'm really saying that. Okay. <laughs> I won't mention anything else, but I said, okay, if, if they hire a black woman or they hire even a black man, a black person, you know, or somebody at a, at a more marginalized position than I am, like, I get it. Like, cool. Like that makes sense. Right. Like we're in this moment, we're in Southern California, like they need to be hiring some black people. I said, but if it's a Latino man, I'm going to be pissed. And lo and behold, (laughs) it was a Latino man. And I was pissed because, again, I mean, I don't even, I can't even tell you why. I was pissed because he's a man. I mean, let's just say it. Like, he was a man. We had the same exact credentials, except for the fact that I actually had a PhD and he didn't. I really hope this doesn't get back to him. but that's the I truth. Like, I actually had well, more credentials yeah. than he did. I had more experience, more credentials, um, but we had the same path, right? Like we yeah. both went to state schools. We actually went through the same programs, like everything. And so I was like, what did it come down to? Like, what was the deciding factor? Um, and I just, 
I don't know. It was just hard to not see it from like they had an opportunity, you know, to not go the typical patriarchal way. And they still did, even within a field that is supposed to be decolonial. Right. And it's supposed to be, you know, not, you know, uh, perpetuating like these forms of oppression. Um, But I think my. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say it's real. I'm like, I'm like, I need to edit. I can't say everything. What am I going to, I have, I am thinking this more than almost any other, you know, podcast that we've had other recording. Cause I don't, it's, it's real. I don't want it to get places or I don't, you know, because my, my livelihood, my kids' livelihoods dependent yeah. upon it's, it's little. It's tricky. a little scary to kind of like put people on blast. But I think my, um, <laughs> what I remember Diane to you talking about just the, like who are getting hired, at least in your field, maybe even their like educational paths, right? And like how people from more prestigious schools, right, are going to get jobs and those kinds of things. I'm not sure if you want to speak to it in that way. I mean, I think, yes, I feel like the rich kind of get richer um, in many different ways. I start to even, I internalize it too, where I'm like, it's because I wasn't in the honors track, right? I And mm. I think, okay, so I'm like, okay, it's school tracking, y'all. I was not tracked in the honors track. I didn't take the AP courses. Oh. I, and then it's then I bring it to myself. Like, I wasn't smart enough. They were right. I wasn't good enough. I, mm. I didn't go to that college. I wanted to go to that college. I didn't get accepted to that college. But everyone from that college is getting the jobs, right? Mm. So, I, so then it's like, is it them? Is it me? Um, so yes, a lot of the same folks from the same college who are all you know supporting each other which is beautiful like that's what we want we want to support each other right but they're getting all the jobs wonderful I'm glad um but we need more of that support and have like a more diverse representation because if someone is you know at a university or in these spaces where we're not getting supported then we're getting penalized for it I didn't Mm. have very much femtorship or mentorship I was looking for it and oh my god I was banging on people's doors I was trying to find that lifeline but I couldn't you know I tried Mm. um so it's just what happens. Yeah, the folks who had good, you know, femtorship or mentorship, they were able to do it. And that makes sense, yeah. right? They had folks publishing with them, looking out for them. You know, some, I think male scholars have women caring for them because sometimes that's what we do or we feel like we have to do and they, they mm-hmm. care for them and they build them up and you get in there. Um, but yeah, for, for the rest of us, we're just, you know, yeah. Hanging on a string. I think, I mean, I hear this sort of speaking to the elitism that gets perpetuated within academia. And again, even in fields and even amongst folks who are trying not to do that, like, right? Like, and I think that's the most frustrating part for me, at least, right? Like being in an ethnic studies field where Mm -hmm. my assumption is, oh, we get it. Like we are, we all get it. Like we know what's going on. We, we have this dare I say, critical race, (laughs) 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 theoretical perspective of of education. And so we we understand and we're going to do our part not to perpetuate those things, you know, once we survive them. And then it kind of feels like that's the exact thing that's happening, right? Like once people get into, yeah, once people get into those positions of power, it's, it's like hazing, right? So it's like, I had to do all of this to get to where I'm at. So you need to go through all this in order to get to where I'm at versus I had to do all this and I don't want you to have to go through all this. So let me make it easier for you. Um, But I I hear that a lot. 
I think, especially in California, you know, I think it's hard for us to speak to, you know, what the, the general state of academia is in, is in the whole United States, but I think in California yeah. and maybe even more specifically in Southern California or in the Cal state system or the Cal state versus the UC versus private system, I think there's elitism when it comes to state schools, mm-hmm. right? So they're looking at our CVs and like, oh, you went to Cal State, whatever, you know, versus yeah. UC or versus USC or versus Stanford mm-hmm. or, you know, all these more pres- quote unquote prestigious schools. Um, I, I do think there's something to be said about the, el- the elitism that sort of gets perpetuated in that. And like you said, it does start, you know, from it, it, their mentorship plays a big part in it starts, you know, there's this track, there's definitely a track to get there. And how do we, how do we intercept that track? You know what I mean? How do we say, okay, what is the, how can we help others that are not necessarily on that track, knowing what we know about education, knowing that, um, mm-hmm standardized tests are at mess. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like knowing all the information we have, why aren't we then like turn? So I think it's like a lot of talk and no show. Even that's scary to say. Do you think there's even a desire to kind of penalize? Like we all have children, mm, you know? Okay. And I, um, I was just thinking about mentors or femtors I've had who I think wished I waited even longer, you know, to have a child, mm. like waited until I had a certain something like a 10 year track position, you know, like, mm. and th- I even, um, I, I'm, I'm remembering the feelings of maybe they thought I betrayed like mm-hmm. the, the time, the energy, you know, um, there's, there's something mm-hmm. in this about, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. being penalized for, you know, for being a mom. To, be mothers yeah mm-hmm. yeah i talked to my students about being pregnant in academia as a form of mm. resistance about going into classrooms yes. being eight months pregnant and sitting there and that was resistance because at usc when any faculty mm. or students were pregnant they would disappear they wouldn't mm. even show their faces we were not even allowed mm. to see them pregnant they didn't want to be in that space pregnant and that was some a choice they made. So they would just be gone for nine months and also they'd appear and maybe ready, you know, ready to go back in fighting shape. Um, and so I couldn't even like, like even just being pregnant, like I wasn't even supposed to be pregnant. I love to think of myself as nine months pregnant, teaching my classes at, you know, I almost taught First the day all, I was going to give birth. You know, I was like, I'm going to teach my class and then I'm going to go give birth, you know, like, <laughs> I, I was supposed to, the day that I was supposed to come back from string break is the day that I had Santos. Um, and here's the way I look back on that time is we shouldn't have had to be fucking working when we were pregnant. You know, how stressful and hard that is to be walking around a campus eight, nine months pregnant. I remember at the time, the Kelsey, chairs, so, the tables do not allow for us. <laughs> oh to- no. I sat oh. my, I like brought a chair. Like I was like, I am not standing this whole lecture. That was the semester that I taught at Cal State Long Beach. Um, one, I had to pass. That was when they still had smoking on campus. And I had to walk by the smoking section every time to class. And that was a little like scary, you know. Um, the other thing was I had a similar experience, um, Diane. So I was 
And when I got pregnant, I was working at the JC and I didn't want to tell anybody. I was like, I didn't want to tell my students. I didn't want to tell nobody because I was afraid that I wasn't going to get hired the next semester. Well, towards the end of the semester, there was just no way to hide it. Right. I mean, it was like and a colleague was like, are you pregnant? And I was like, maybe (laughs) like it was. And I felt sad because I got pregnant on purpose. It wasn't like a shameful thing, but I had to. I felt the shame at work because I was like, what's going to happen to my career? And I didn't get hired the next semester. And I ended up getting a call from Kelsey Long Beach and they were like, can you teach these two classes? And I was like, yeah. And I, I knew I was due very close to the end of the semester. And I just didn't say anything and again, because I needed the work because I needed the insurance. I needed the money. Um, there's paid leave for that there's there is and I did get paid leave because Santos came four weeks early and so I left like six weeks right before the semester ended but I was not once they saw me and saw that I was visibly pregnant I immediately felt the way that I was treated was just not like there wasn't I thought I was in a women's studies department I thought of all the departments Mm. on a campus Mm -hmm that's going to be the campus that if I'm pregnant, they're going to be like, it's all good. We get it. You know, we'll support you. What can we do? And it was like, Mm. have you told the chair that you're pregnant? And I'm like, "Uh." and it was, it was a mess because they were, the department was in a kind of a tricky place. Um, I, I left early and I got really bad evals from students, students who straight up in the eval said, like the question was what can, can the teacher or the professor do different or something like that? And it was, um, she could not be pregnant next time straight up. I mean, and it wasn't just one, there was several that made a comment about me. I mean, and I was like, it was, it was an awful, awful semester to say the least. And again, it was just another like layer of, and, and I think you're right, Christina point that out that and so the, I, when you were saying that, I was like, oh, shit, I wonder in my interview, I, yes. I think I mentioned something about being a mother because it is a part us? of a central part of who I am. And like, I thought of that oh, interview with that our there. friend Jasmine. Remember, we talked about Jasmine and about hiring committees and her as oh, a manager right. for hiring and the, the things that they look for and how the ring, the I don't know, these different signs that would say like, oh, you're not going to have time for us. And I think there is, we're we're talking about this, right? Like for a cause like academia, which is, you know, a religious institution, totally for sure. Like (laughs) you, to be a diehard, to be actually like someone, a radical, you need to be able to sacrifice all these things, you know? Mm. I I mean, I think that's still part of the narrative. Even Um, even in fields like, Again, even in fields like ethnic studies, like women's studies, where you're thinking, oh, we're coming from this like different perspective. And they're still, I mean, they're still sort of upholding these standards, right, of academia, which are really mm-hmm. standards of whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right that we have to sacrifice everything. We have to have no other life, right? Like mm-hmm. academia has to be our whole life. And um Oh God. Yeah. I'm like, definitely the, I didn't, I, not that I didn't realize, but I, I knew like, so the way you said Diane, that, you know, being pregnant in academia was an act of resistance. And I think part of me, that was my act of resistance in the interview. I knew I, on some level, I knew, okay, if this, you know, 
I probably shouldn't, I would have been advised, don't mention that you're a mother, but I'm like, it's an essential part of who I am. It is a central part of my research, my work. I'm not going to hide it. But now retrospective, I'm like, fuck, I wonder if that was the, that was the difference, you know? Um, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge that men who are getting these tenure track positions and do have families, it's not viewed in the same way. Oh, it's totally sexist. Because it doesn't even matter. I was going to ask. I was like, I wonder if that guy had kids. And it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter. A, it doesn't matter. An assumption, there's an assumption that they're not really there's a, a there's a partner there that like you said diane right like oh there's a woman there that's probably going to take care of the children while this man goes and does his thing right <laughs> and then uh, this reminds me if you don't mind my saying too when yeah. a student not too long ago said to me and she was um a, a female student who said um wow you really have it all like you did it like how did you do it you're a mom and you're in academia and I was just like, what are you talking to somebody else? Like, who's behind me? <laughs> um, because, and that's those, those are the moments where I'm like, I don't know how much do I really tell you? Like, do I really mm. tell you that I have such a precarious position that I don't have health insurance right now? That, um, you know, as soon as I stop teaching, we're in a pandemic and they take away my health insurance and my kids don't have the vaccine and, you know, we're, you know, our lives are at risk. Like, do I say all of this to you who are telling me Uh, that and you want to get a PhD? I mean, do I support, I want to support your dream. Right. And I want to, and maybe you're going to do it and you're going to do better than I did. Yeah. But what if, because the statistics, 79, 70 to 95% of us won't get a tenure line job. And I want you to have a house and I want you to be okay. So all of that is going through my mind. Like, what do I do? What do we say? Yeah, that's a really important question. I think is, I feel the same way. Cause sometimes I want to be like, academia is fucked. Like there's just no, like <laughs> there's no um, saving it. And I, and this brings me to the situation of the pandemic. Um, on top of the exploitation that we already have, right? Lack of uh, stability, you know, potentially lack of insurance, like just all of these things that we don't have. Mm-hmm. And then the expectation for us in the <laughs> middle of the pandemic, really spring 2020 should have been canceled, right? We should have been like, you know what? Everybody just, they get the credits and we call it a day. <laughs> but we were expected Mm-hmm. In within at most, at most, at best, a mm-hmm. week to turn around our, our courses from in-person to online, right? Mm-hmm. In, 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 at best, the universities I was at, they gave us one week to do that. Um, and then, and we had to be like experts at online, right? Like in a week, like we had to mm-hmm. do it, not just turning it around, but like doing it efficiently. And then fall 2020, and then into what spring where are we? It was spring 2021. And now we have to go back to in-person. And again, this transition that we're expected to do. um, And then there's this push. So like at the campuses that I'm at right now, we're about 50% in person. And so they're like, okay, spring, we want to go back all the way. And I'm like, what? Wait, what? (laughs) Like, why is there this rush to go back? Like, and I'm, I'm almost literally asking, like, what is the financial investment? Because 
definitely I understand there's a lot of students oh. who who preferred to go back in person. I've heard of from a lot of students and I'm like, oh, I get you. I get it. And however, I've heard a lot of students who don't want to go back. Don't want to do it. Who preferred being online. I'm even getting emails from, I forget what school because I get so many emails, but saying, oh, I think it was both the, both campuses that I'm at. And they were like, oh, you know, we plan to go back in spring of 2021, um, you know, 100%. But we are getting a lot of concerned emails from students. So, and I'm like, what? So then how are the decisions being made? Are they being made in with Money. the, Money. I know, but what, like, Money. how I don't get it. Like, is it because they can pay, they can charge more tuition? Like, where is the money even coming? I don't get it. Like, I, it's I, wild I literally, like, I don't get it. Like, why I feel are like we there so... must be some Jeff Bezos out there in the academic <laughs> world. Someone who is making like a few of them who want, yeah, I'm like, is it the companies from the like spaces? Is it like a oh, sense of it could be like I don't I don't know. It really is. Really it could weird. be the how and how think, universities get their private funding, right? So like, I think like Coca Cola and Pepsi like are big private funders for universities. I um, think they're just parents. And without honestly, a like campus, you don't need that. The dean, the president. I think they're all just saying this because they have to. And then later on, it's going to have to change because it's not going to work. But it costs so much money to do that. <laughs> but I mean, they, I it's really almost like they have really, to say that. I really, really thought I thought, oh, this is an opportunity for us as as academics and as academia as an institution to really take a hard look at our methods and to see is there a different way to do this that is mm -hmm. better for each individual student, not just this like generalized idea of students? Um, and I thought, oh, because even before the pandemic, um, there was this. So at the JC, they already had a lot of online courses. So I was I've been teaching online for even before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the Cal States, they were like, oh, we're 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 going to start opening up some classes like that will just solely be taught mm -hmm. online. And so then I thought, oh, this is just going to kick that into high gear, right? Like we're really going to go forward yeah. into kind of doing these online courses. And now I don't see that. I see like it weird. There's just such this urgency to go right back. Just like, no, we got to go right back to where yeah. we were, you know, in, you know, early 2020. I don't know. How do you feel about all this online and in person, Diane? Oh, I was Christina. Were you going to say something? I'm just struck by how much we've sacrificed, you know, in this during the <laughs> pandemic. I'm just thinking okay. about you, Diane, actually in particular. But I'm thinking about the ways in which we have like warped, flowed mm. ourselves, manipulated ourselves to come to a place of abundance with our kids and survival within ourselves. I. It's just really, yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. How has that been for you? I would love to hear. Ooh. Yeah, it was a lot. I think I wanted to just um, do so much, especially during the pandemic. Yes, had my two kids at home, right? Like we all did. And uh, I mean, my students, I had so many. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I do for them is, you know, I would say maybe I do too much, but I feel like I don't do enough. Mm. things like during the pandemic oh my god um so I had a lot of students who were international so I taught at UC Irvine for five years mm. that's where I, I just left 
uh, was pushed out to be more specific, but I taught at UC Irvine and a lot of students were international students. So they were in China, they were in Korea. And so I was holding some class sessions at 10 at night because of the time change. And it's like, no one asked me to do that. I get it, but like they can access, you know, the curriculum if I can't, you know, if we're just, I'm just showing videos, that's great. But I want, you know, they want to actually talk about things and there was so much going on. And so, yeah. yes, I would do things like that. And right now, what is really present in my mind is trying to still be there for these students who I'm not even teaching there anymore, but it's time to apply to graduate school and everybody from that school wants to go to graduate school. And I, I told my partner that I feel like I'm a little raft floating in the middle of the ocean. And everyone's trying to jump on because I'm getting all the requests for letters of rec. Mm. And so I love <laughs> these students. I love them so dearly and I know them, right? All 360 that I taught each quarter, I knew them and I cared for them. And um, to not write their letters is keeps me up at night. And I mm. think, you know, it's going to be my fault and their whole futures and their families and everything the opportunity <laughs> is hanging on me. Like, not that I'm so great, but like, that's one thing I can do as a lecturer, right? Yeah. Even though I have no institutional power, um, that's the one thing I can do. And so I really struggle with that. Like, I can barely even survive right now, but I'm trying to write their letters in that little raft, right? Like, just trying to keep the flow. Mm. Oh, the rec letters. I love it. And I'm wondering what your birthday is. Oh my goodness. So much from the very beginning. Um, <laughs> I'm like, she's like October 1st or 2nd. I first. always forget. First. Oh, you're Libra. You're so like, you want that yeah. equanimity and really, oh, so bad. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. You know, and my I students. Think- I loved providing the pandemic, the one-on-ones. It was the students that were having a hard time. I could, I had the time because I could just set, let's set up the Zoom, let's, let's chat, you know, like to try to like get or create optional like lunch chats. Those are things I don't, I didn't have, I don't have time for when I'm commuting, right? You know, yeah. several, you know, hours away. And week. I want, I wanted to be clear that, yeah. I mean, whoever may be listening to this, I wanted to be clear <laughs> that that's where our loyalty lies. Right. Mm -hmm. I've always said my loyalty does not lie with any university, any department. My loyalty is to my students. Mm -hmm. In the pandemic, I was straight up like, I mean, we were, I'm sure we were all getting those emails of, oh, I I tested positive or, oh, Mm so-and-so in my family has COVID or all of the, or in the- Or someone died or I have no place to (laughs) live or- Or I don't have Wi-Fi or, you know, I'm -hmm. I'm accessing the course from my phone or, um, I mean, I was getting, you know, last year, you know, when the, in the middle of the political uprising asked students like, should I go out and protest? And I was like, yes but please be careful and you know asking like for words of advice and I was like you know there's there's a sense of responsibility that we have to them and I think that's the part too where we get exploited in that that's not considered in our paycheck that's not considered in Mm -hmm. any type of compensation that we're getting that we are you know basically being these emotional we're holding a lot of emotions for our students Um, I mean, and this was prior to pandemic, but even more so during the pandemic, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's a big part of it. And I think it's, and I think that's too, why it's so frustrating because 
they're losing as well because their tuition rates continue to go up. But that's I tell them, I'm like, look, you're paying more tuition. I'm not seeing that just so it's clear. Right. It's mm-hmm. your tuition money is not going into my pockets. Right. Yeah. It's going to all of these other institutional things. It's you know, it's basically trickle down economics, which we know doesn't work. But um, but that's the thing is that they're they're suffering as well. Right. They're suffering. We're suffering. So who is really winning, you know, at least from an academic perspective, you know, and I think we, we have to also name what the, what these higher ups are getting, right. The chancellors and the deans and the, the provost, they're getting six figure high six figure salaries. And we are not getting even a small percentage of that. And if we do, it's only because um, we're taking on so many classes so I'm teaching seven classes, not because I love it, <laughs> because I, I need the I money. Love I, need- I love Diane's no. face. Oh my <laughs> You're God. like, I'm crazy. I know. I know. And the- I know. I know. But the I- thing is, not knowing what, how many classes you're going to teach next semester, you know, so you're, and I think that we're doubling down in the fall. We're just trying, you know, because who knows what actually will, things will happen, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, and it, it's like that. It's like, okay, we have to end. Um, I think the other uh, the other thing we have to name too about adjuncting somebody people will always kind of say this like to be funny and I just don't find it funny at all. They're like, oh, mm. you're a freeway flyer, right? The idea that you have to drive from campus to campus because in order to get a full time schedule, you have to take two classes here, two classes here, two classes yeah. here, and I'm like, that's f- I hate commuting. Yeah, it's yeah. super stressful. It's it is a waste of time. Okay. Like I could be doing other shit. I could be grading. You want to know why I don't grade <laughs> until like <laughs> ever. my students are always like, are you going to grade my thing? Uh, you know, when I get around to it, because I don't have yep. time, I'm tired. And when I get home, I'm exhausted. It does impact parenting. I think we need to name sure. that too, that when yeah. we're emotionally yeah. exhausted from all these things that it does Im- impact our ability to parent. So I know I have to work on boundaries with academia. <laughs> so I'm Me trying too. not to take on seven classes <laughs> next semester. Um, I'm like, I really have to talk myself into like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to not, you know, uh, to, to have half your paycheck. Like it's okay. Um, I mean, it is and it isn't, but for my mental mm-hmm. health in the end, you know, seven classes is not, it's not sustainable really, but it's, it's been romanticized. Mm-hmm. I see professors. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like I've te- I'm, I have colleagues that were my professors, like at Cal State LA when I was doing my master's there and I see the same professor, they were old when I was there. And now mm-hmm. I'm like their colleagues. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, do I want to be like 70 years old? Still like mm-hmm. still on this grind, you know? Um, I mean, I'm hoping that by then it's like, Oh, I can teach one class, you know, as you were, <laughs> as you were talking, <laughs> as you were talking about burnout, you know, and I, I have a three-year contract um, it occurs to me that I have this because the a couple my mentors before me, other lecturers, like peace the fuck out. They're like, I'm done with the university, you know, and that kind of created some space. And at that same kind of timing, we got a new chair who actually was for our department versus like for multiple departments. And um, but I I it's that's what they're counting on too, right? Lecture mm-hmm. burnout, right? Oh, you just oh. want to teach, you'll teach those classes. So then you, you'll just leave, 
Yeah. And then we'll, yeah, we don't have to pay you a pension. We don't have to pay you retirement. Like we don't have to pay you out and yeah, totally disposable. That's the, that's the operative word, right. Is disposable. And um, again, I think, and I, and I hear so much of what you were saying at the beginning, Diane, about how much, like we love, we're in academia because we love it. Obviously there's a part of us that loves to be in the space of intellectualism and, you know, for our students and, you know, being, being there too, as role models of Latinas who are doing this and feeling so exploited by the system at the same time. And, um, which brings me to, so we can wrap it all up. (laughs) Can I just say briefly, one more thing is undergrad. I never had any professors that look like me, right? I don't know if Mm -hmm. if you had that too. So I just want to name what we're doing is radical in and of itself, just being there, right? I just want to name that again, just so that we can feel, you know, I, I, the work I hear that is pivotal. I mm-hmm. had a student this semester. I, I've told you about him, Christina. He, so ugh, he was a little problematic at the beginning, <laughs> but he's come around. Oh. Um, all I'll say about is he is a, it seems like he was recently out of jail. This is at the JC. So I've had students like who, just got out of jail before. And, um, and he came up to me a couple of weeks ago and was like, so I haven't done any assignments the whole semester. Um, but I really want to pass your class and, you know, and <laughs> I, it's hard. Right. So I was like, all right, look, I will excuse every assignment from the first half of the semester, but you have to do everything from here on out. And he gave me this look, like I just said, I, I know how to fly. Like, I, like, I was like, I don't think he, he gave me like, really? Like, you're just gonna just excuse everything without an explanation, like without him having to jump hoops. Like he really looked at me like I, what had three heads, you know? And I was like, yeah, just, I go, I'm meeting you halfway. If you can just meet me the other half, like I'll be cool. And he was like, okay. And he's, I mean, he's been on it since. Um, and you know, he's coming to class and he's, you know, his problematicness has gotten a lot better. Um, I think he's really hearing the conversation, but, um, but I think it's that right. That those, that's the, those are the moments. That's what we, that's what I do it for. Cause I'm like, you know, and I've told my students, I don't want to be that extra hoop that you have to jump through. Right. Like if you're having problems, come and tell me and we'll figure it out together. Um, and that's, you know, that's, literally that's why hearing, we're like, here. That's the purpose. Yeah. I'm literally hearing, um, I believe I can fly like in my brain right now. You basically <laughs> oh, just God, told let's him. Not go to R. <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> um, but I, I, oh, want God, us to, yeah. I want us to think like, what is our hope then? What do we, what is our hope maybe for ourselves and, and maybe to you directly, Dan, what is your hope for yourself and what might be your hope for the future of academia, if, if there is one. I think what I'm so grateful for is like our union who's fighting, almost Mm. fighting. They give me so much hope Mm -hmm, to be in those mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I'm so isolated as a lecturer. I mean, having those moments when we were on campus and I would walk through the halls and see all these white folks in education in their offices and see the Frida Kahlo paintings in their offices. Meanwhile, Chicana is walking down the hall with the Mm. office space that is the parking lot. Like that would really bring me down, right? So Mm. finding my union for me was like, oh my God, we're all fighting for each other like you all are doing this work that's so beautiful that gives me hope um and just remembering like what Christina just said which is 
those moments, right? And Renee too, that when our students remind us, like, you're my first Latina professor. Mm. I want to go, I want to get a graduate degree because of you. Like, mm. oh my God, like, how do you not, like, that is the most beautiful job in the world. Like, how do you not <laughs> love that? It's yeah. amazing, right? And also, like, Renee, you were talking about, I feel like so much of what I do is, um, creating these spaces of love and resistance. It's like my mantra, like creating these spaces of love in the classroom where it's like, fuck the UC, fuck grades. Um, You know, we're just going (laughs) to do away with all that. You know, in this classroom, we're creating something together and it's not Mm. what they all tell you it's supposed to be. And I want you to, I want to celebrate you. And they're, you know, everywhere, everywhere. They'll tell us that we're with the achievement gap and we're just not smart enough. And we just can't all these negative things. And I'm like, no, in our space, we're going to celebrate each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to cry. We're going to get through it. And so like, for me, that beautiful energy is what gets me through. And that's why I want to be there. But, but I hit that wall where it's like, I can't yeah. be them for, there for them all the way because I'm on the margins of academia because I might not yeah. be there oh. next semester. That's where I feel like right now I am stuck there where it's like, can I be okay with being a lecturer? but I can't really be there for my students. They want to do uh, research with me. I'm yeah. sorry, girl, I can't do research with you. I have no funding. I don't do that anymore. I can't, um, mm. you know, I can't, I can't, can I go speak to these people in these meetings? Girl, I'm not invited to the meetings. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm not even there. Yeah. I don't even, it's always like, oh, I don't actually know. Oh, they tell me about <laughs> their other professors. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I don't know who that is. I've right. never been to this meeting, right? Mm. So that's where I think I'm at right now. And I don't know if you all have answers or what you all want, you know, offer yeah. for that. But yes, I'm in that place. Um, the borderlands, right? Always siempre, like where, where do I go from here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I hear that the, the hope definitely, the union for sure. I remember during the pandemic when they'd be like, oh, we're going back. We're not going back. I was like, I'm just going to wait until the union tells me what to do because I know they have my back I know they'll figure it out um and I so I I think that's definitely an important for sure um and I think that uh definitely you know I hear you saying the kind of space that you create in the classroom and then it's like well that's why they fucking that's it, yeah. And you you said it a lot, Christina, if not us, then who? If mm. we're going to be the only ones in this space, infiltrating it and trying our mm-hmm. best to do something different within mm-hmm. this toxic space, if we're not there, what could happen to students who kind of go through without meeting uh, somebody like us along the way? It's not so that we're hard. saving the world, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there are few of us, right? There, I mean, I always joke, you know, the, the percentage, right, of Latina PhDs. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, we probably know all of them, right? Because we, it's a very yep. small circle. So either that or there's one, two degrees of separation that we know all the Latina PhDs yeah. in literally in the country, right? By a very small degree of separation. And so, of course, there's a lot of us that are doing that, right? Interjecting in this space. Um, but it's, but the amount of students, right, that there are is even more. So they're still not seeing us, you know, enough. They're not, they're not having that experience enough. So it is hard as far as, um, I don't know. And like, what is my hope for the future of academia? Can I just say too, you know, my, my, my thinking, I know I want to, I want to get into hope, but I just want to share one more thing, which is 
you know, when I created those spaces in my classroom, like we're in this together, when I came to be observed, I'm, I've told Renee this, and I think uh, I've said on the podcast, I have to pretend that I didn't do that, that I was actually just lecturing to them so that I would get a really good eval from my, you know, department chair at that time, because they didn't want me to be like that. They wanted this power dynamic, you know, me to assert mm. that. And, um, and so, I mean, so maybe that, I don't know how, I'm like, oh, it's just another thing, another layer of translation, of bridging, of borderland, you know, like there is, like, we are that space in between some of our friends outside of academia, they call us something, Renee, what was it? Like, like not infiltrators, not spies, (laughs) (laughs) like we're in there to help, you know, decolonize. Um, bring in an intersectional feminist lens. We are act- we're activists. Like like we just met grief grief activists, right? So maybe we're like uh, academic activists. No, um, there's like a word. I want to name what we are yeah. in the system because I think that would be really powerful. And I think maybe that's still still in the works. Yeah, I mean, I and I, yeah, yes, I think we are academic activists, and I think. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a big that's a big question. I think even like you were saying, Diana, about students who want to go on to grad school, and you're like, <laughs> you're like, do I let you dive into the pool of sharks while I'm drowning in it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I mean, so I fortunately had a brother before. So my brother is eight years older than me. He has his doctorate. And so I did have some level of mentorship in that mm-hmm. way where um, and I actually did witness him drowning in a pool of sharks. And I was like, you know what? That seems like a cool pool. <laughs> Let me go jump in there. <laughs> I, I mean, it was it, it's literally I at some point I was like, I can't believe you, you're doing this heck like he mind you, he will never admit why his the barriers that and the challenges that he's faced. He'll never say it's because he's a brown face in the, in a sea of whiteness. He will never admit to that. And that's fine. Um, but I saw it and I saw where he, what, what he was challenging. And I remember thinking like, Oh no, I can, there's no way I can do that. And then there I was like, ah, let's do this, you know? So it's like, you know, you, you can't stop people on some level if they, if that's what they want to pursue. And I think the best, my hope comes in and I tell my, my students this all the time. I've been through the full spectrum of academia. I know where the challenges are. I know where the loopholes are and I had to figure it out. And I'm, if you want to go that route, please come and talk to me and I will give you all the codes. (laughs) I will give you all the, you know, the movidas, like I will, whatever you need to get through that, you know, to not have to jump through so many hoops, to not have to be hazed you know, to mm-hmm. whatever it is that I could, cause if, if that's the best that I can do, you know, for my students is to say, okay, if that's the path you want to go, I'm not going to deter you, but I'm going to tell you where the challenges are and hopefully give you a better way to handle those challenges. Because like you said, Diane, like I was internalizing everything in grad school. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't belong here. What mm-hmm. people are, we would be reading these theoretical texts. And I was like, I have no idea what this book is about. I didn't read past page five because I gave up because I don't know what the ego in the id is. I have no idea. And so I sat there in a grad seminar, like, and people knew it sounded like they knew what they were talking about and would go home and be like, 
I don't know if I fucking belong here. Like all of this stuff, you know, because and even and come to find out that everybody's performing, right? Everybody is performing. My master's in English from Cal State Long Beach. You know what I learned? We're the great bullshitters. You know, we can totally (laughs) just like, like read, read the text, skim it, be ready to talk about it. You know, like, yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's what I want. If I can, if I can prevent somebody from internalizing those negative voices, that's the best I can do and say, no, it is not you. It is them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, this theoretical nonsense, I mean, it's important and it's there, but it's not the whole picture, right? Like, I just want to go in there and be able mm-hmm. to give, you know, future grad students, you know, you can't avoid the challenges, but to say, um, make sure you have a therapist, <laughs> make sure you have resources to be able to process the challenges that you inevitably are going to encounter, right? Right. Um, versus group. something mm-hmm. versus we were like, like you said, like searching and like, I remember in grad school um, walking into a class and there was, it was like a Chicana literature class. And I walked in and literally took a breath. I was like, oh, here they are. <laughs> like, it was like walking into like a church. No, but like, it was like, because I was in a department where, you know, it was just, it was very isolating. And I was like, oh my God. And I latched onto that community. And that, that was what got me through. It wasn't anything else other than the community of other, you know, Chicana grad students that got me through it. But, um, but it's those, I wouldn't have known that, you know, I had to find that out myself. And so now if, if I were to give advice, it'd be like, okay, find a community, find a support, find an advisor, yeah. you know what I mean? Like all of these things. And I think, so that's where my hope lies in is in me being able to turn around and say, here is the tool belt that you're going to need versus me trying to create more obstacles, you know? I love that. (laughs) I think that's a shout out for me. And this is my, I mean, my, my hope, you know, is, is for the, you know, the women's resource center at Long Beach state, um, the queer, you know, resource center at Kelsey Dominguez Hills, like, and, and the, and the women's resource center there too, like the Latinx, you know, resource center, like those spaces, they are, they are where, they are where I went into the room and I took that deep breath and I was like, okay, here, here you are. You know, I found a place on campus where I can be a little bit more of myself, more, my full self, you know, and then bring that energy into my, my academic work. Yeah. And I want to say too, before we go is as much as challenges as we have had, I mean, we've named why it's important for us to be in these spaces. And we also, we do need other, you know, Latinas behind us to be getting their degrees, because if not, it, the university will turn, will continue to be white and it will just continue to perpetuate its power in so many ways. So I guess we do, like, I guess we do have a responsibility to still um, mentor, you know, um, Latinas wanting to be in that space so that our legacy can continue, you know, long past, <laughs> long past us, right? Like we think about Gloria Saldua and Sherry Moraga, Charla Sandoval as our foremothers, but I think it's, I think we're the foremothers now. <laughs> like it's our turn to like... <laughs> 
turn around and start mentoring these young Chicanas, you know. I hear this. I hear this because I've been telling my students, you know, at best grad school is like a book club with all the people like you want to be in a book club with. But, you know, I think at worst it's and maybe at its best, it's us changing the culture of, you know, academia, you know, together. So it's like. So I just want to say the three of us, right? Even in, in where, the mothers. places that we're in, we're doing it, right? Like we are doing it. We are doing the work. Um, I have faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is maybe where my like Catholic upbringing <laughs> comes in. I have faith. I have full faith that abundance will find its way to us. I do truly believe that karma, you can call it whatever, really. Um I, I, you know, I have faith that it will, it will, it will work out at least for now. Right. Cause we're also doing this, not just for us, but for the next seven generations. Um, and that we'll be able to, to find a way to navigate our way through academia in whatever way. And that's the thing I've been trying to come to, too, is like, I'm gonna do it on my terms. I had a colleague say, Oh, there's this opening at LA city college in Chicano studies. And I was like, one that's too far <laughs> Two, I'm so I'm not in the mood to be applying to jobs right now. And I, and I told him like this, I said, um, I, uh, what did I say? I said something like, um, I'm not going to apply to jobs unless they give me an offer. I can't refuse. And that's what I'm, that's my motto from now on. Mm-hmm. You give me an offer. I can't refuse. If that means it better be over a hundred thousand. I'm not getting out of bed from, for less than a hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to put that energy out into the world and see what happens. But I think we should and all be doing that. We are sending you blessings here. Thank and so I just, much. I'm thinking you so much out there. Um, and, and I'm so grateful that you came and spoke with us and brought up just so many nuances to this conversation that I really think need to be there. So thank you so much. Thank and you, lastly, yeah. shout out to <laughs> Diane for making the beautiful earrings that she makes. You can find it uh-huh. on Instagram. I think it's Chicana underscore diaretes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll so put much. it in the show notes. I'm going to need some earrings. holiday. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank um, you, thank you, you so Diane. Much. I, I do have to say this is definitely full circle. When we were in high school, really quick last high school story. <laughs> when we were in high school, I think it was, Maybe junior year. I I used to wear. I, she oh, looks God. a little concerned. She looks. A little I used concerned. to wear these She's blonde streaks. I used to wear these blonde streaks, and we were went to a Catholic school. We were not supposed to dye your hair at all, and I had these blonde streaks. And then I used to wear these like little butterfly clips, and they made this whole like big deal about it. Like they came on the. I don't know if it was the TV or the intercom and they're like, you're not allowed to wear blonde streaks and butterfly clip like this whole it was this whole thing. And basically, Diane and I staged a protest (laughs) junior year against this ridiculous rule that we couldn't, you know, like policing our hair and attire and when I went back to teach there, by the way, people still remembered that story. They're like, remember when you protested, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, and we're still protesting. And we're still (laughs) fighting. So if that wasn't a clue to what our future was going to be, you know, like I said, when people hear, I think that we're professors are like, yeah, that's about right. That makes sense. 
Yeah. Our coraje is rooted in love, right? Love and resistance and care. For sure. Mm. Thank you. All righty. Thank you so much, Diane.